Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. A Georgia state senator criticizes Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. He's now facing backlash after comparing the justice to people who sold their souls to slave masters. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis unveils a bill to protect people's online privacy. Find out what the key points are in what he's calling a digital bill of rights. It's been close to two weeks since a train derailment spilled toxic chemicals in Ohio and residents want answers about the potential health risks they might be facing. Find out what went down at the town meeting yesterday. A shift in U.S. Sky Patrol after the balloon incursion. Find out how China and Russia were exploiting the old system and analysis on the Russian balloons shot down in Ukraine. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis introduced a digital bill of rights yesterday. The legislation aims to protect Floridians' digital security and privacy. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the proposal. We want free speech. We want more speech, not less speech. The key points of the bill are private conversations without surveillance by big tech, online participation without unfair censorship, transparency and internet search engine manipulation, control of personal data, and protecting children from online harms. DeSantis says people with conservative views have been marginalized, banned, and deplatformed. Those rules are applied with a thumb on the scale against the people they disagree with politically. He spoke about the inappropriate use of government power for censorship, calling it a violation of the First Amendment. You have these busybodies in government that are going to Facebook, they're going to these tech companies, and they're trying to get people censored, or they're trying to get them deplatformed. DeSantis says Florida will prohibit any agreement between state or local government and social media companies on content moderation. The proposal also bans the use of TikTok and other social media platforms with ties to China from all state government devices. That also applies to internet services at colleges, universities, and public schools. Also taking even stronger action to address threats posed by CCP-related uh, uh, entities. On protecting children, DeSantis says Florida is going to prevent businesses from knowingly selling or sharing a minor's personal information. Consent of a parent or guardian would be required. On search engine manipulation, the proposal would require Google and other large search engines to disclose whether they prioritize search results based on political or ideological views. On so-called big tech surveillance, the governor shared an example of someone talking about red roses over the phone and later that day seeing an ad for roses pop up online. We want to protect your right as a Floridian to have private in-person conversations without big tech surveilling you. The proposal has to be passed by the state legislature and signed by the governor before becoming law in Florida. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Project Veritas director responded yesterday to a report that founder James O'Keefe was placed on paid leave. The report sparked some donors to issue a cease and desist letter. Director Daniel Strzok says O'Keefe has not been removed from his position. A Twitter post from the company says he's on, quote, a well-deserved vacation. Strzok said leadership got some verbal feedback a few weeks ago regarding the treatment of people. It appears that they are gathering more feedback and adjusting internal processes while O'Keefe takes a break. Strzok highlights that O'Keefe is hardworking and the Project Veritas board, quote, all love James. 
The director indicates that the situation has nothing to do with the recent Veritas expose involving a Pfizer executive and says Project Veritas will never, quote, be brought to you by Pfizer. A Georgia state senator is receiving backlash after indicating that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, quote, betrayed the black community. On Tuesday, the Georgia Senate voted along party lines to erect a statue of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas at the state capitol. The decision was met with criticism from Democrats. Senator Emanuel Jones said this about Justice Thomas while talking about the planned statue. When we talk about a person of color that goes back historically to the days of slavery and that person betraying his own community, we have a term in the black community. That term that we use is called uh, Uncle Tom. I don't really know the origin of Uncle Tom, but it talks about a person who back during the days of slavery sold his soul to the slave masters. Conservatives are now reacting to the remarks. Journalist Benjamin Weingarten noted Justice Thomas, one of the greatest Americans in our history and perhaps the most revolutionary and exceptional jurist of at least the last century, will never ever stop paying for the thought crime of being black and conservative. What's old is new again for the Democrats. And political commentator Martin Barrington II wrote, George Floyd can have statues and you won't utter a word about that, but Clarence Thomas is an achiever that has superseded race and you idiotically called him an Uncle Tom in front of your colleagues. After passing the Senate, the bill to erect the statue now moves to the Georgia House. Now we're moving on to Ohio for some updates on the recent train derailment. Hundreds of angry residents packed into a high school gym yesterday. They were seeking answers to what health dangers they might be facing from toxic chemicals that spilled. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on their concerns. East Palestine Mayor Trent Conaway said he wanted to help provide some reassurance for the nearly 5,000 citizens of his town and hold those responsible for the train derailment accountable. I have the village on my back and I'll do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to make this right. They screwed up our town, they're going to fix it. If they don't, I'll be the first one calling all you back to do this all over again. But Conaway believes the course of action authorities took was the right one. We either detonate those tanks or they detonate themselves. This option, yes, harmful chemicals went in the air. I'm truly sorry, but that is the only option we had. If we didn't do that, then they were going to blow up and we were going to throw shrapnel all across this town. Norfolk Southern officials did not attend the meeting, saying they feared violence. The fire from the derailment sent a cloud of smoke over East Palestine. Thousands were forced to evacuate. Railroad crews drained and burned off a toxic chemical from five tanker cars. Residents were then allowed to return to their homes on February 8th. Much remains unknown of the dangers posed by the toxins. There's just too many chemicals and stuff that were spilled. Many in the area have complained of headaches and irritated eyes and noted that chickens, fish and other wildlife have died off. Despite that, state health officials have insisted that East Palestine is a safe place to be. Ohio state officials say a plume of pollution in the Ohio River is moving at one mile per hour. But they say cities in the plume's path can turn off their drinking water intakes as it floats by. They've also said that drinking water tests have not raised concerns and normal water treatment would remove any small amounts of contaminants that may exist. Railroad union officials said they warned such an accident could happen because railroad cost-cutting harmed safety measures. But Norfolk Southern says its record has been trending safer. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. 
Apprehensions of people trying to cross the Canada-U.S. border illegally through the Swanton sector are skyrocketing. The Swanton sector consists of ports of entry in Vermont, New Hampshire, and northeastern New York. CBP registered over 1,500 encounters so far this fiscal year, which started in October. Last year, the agency only had 160 encounters during the same time period. Mexicans make up the majority of individuals trying to cross illegally into the U.S. from Canada. Haitians came in second, and Guatemalans third. Officials sometimes encounter families with infants. They're trying to cross into the U.S. while temperatures are as low as negative 4 degrees. Agricultural specialists at U.S. Customs and Border Protection say they found unique pests in a shipment of fresh celery. The shipment arrived from Mexico on January 16th at a cargo facility in San Diego. During an intensive inspection, specialists found one live leaf beetle and one live moth within the celery. The driver and shipment were then returned directly to Mexico. The U.S. Department of Agriculture Plant Protection and Quarantine Identifiers later identified the pests as actionable species. This classification means that whenever the organism is detected in imported goods, shipments must be disinfected, destroyed, or returned to the country of origin. CBP says foreign insects, plant and animal diseases, and invasive plants can be harmful to United States agriculture. A large homeless camp near the White House is no more. National Park Service employees cleared the encampment out yesterday. About 50 tents in McPherson Square were disposed of. Around 60 people were told to leave. Those who refused were warned they could be arrested. At least two took them up on that offer. Some advocates say the city hasn't done enough to help the homeless find shelter. There is no plan. The plan is people are going to be displaced. There are still tents. There are still people living here who don't know where they're going to sleep tonight. D.C. has thousands of housing resources that can be used to end homelessness. But instead, D.C. has chosen to focus our energy on evicting encampments. We need to clear the backlog of vouchers, not clear encampments. The National Park Service planned to clear the square in April, but that deadline was moved up by two months. That was due to public health and safety concerns. The mini-tent city had grown significantly over the last year. U.S. officials issued an alert to Apple users this week. It's due to a security vulnerability found in iPhones, iPads, and macOS devices. The threat was substantial enough to draw an alert from the DHS's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. They issued a statement Tuesday. It says Apple has released security updates to address vulnerabilities in multiple products. Apple says an exploit allows hackers to inject malicious code into users' devices with elevated privileges. Apple users are being highly encouraged to install the latest firmware updates if they haven't already. The update can be located in each device's system settings app. And still to come, falling furniture accidents largely affect children. The yearly death and injury data might surprise you. We have that and more just after this break. An Indiana woman stole almost $574,000 from a Catholic church and an attached school. She used the money for gambling and long vacations. Marie Carson handled finances for St. Matthew Catholic Church and School for 13 years. Court documents say she illegally transferred money to external bank accounts from 2008 to 2021. But the money stolen could be higher since she admitted to beginning in 2004. Carson apparently hid the scheme by making false entries into a database of parish expenditures. The crime was discovered in late 2021 by a temporary replacement. 
The FBI special agent in charge said the scheme was, quote, fueled by pure greed. Carson was sentenced to two years in prison. An over-the-counter opioid overdose drug could soon be approved for nationwide sale. An FDA panel showed unanimous support for it yesterday. The drug is a nasal spray called Narcan. It quickly reverses or blocks the effects of an overdose and restores normal breathing. Many of the panelists advised changes to the labeling to avoid using it wrong. They suggested the five steps of use should only be printed on the back panel to avoid confusion. It's currently across the back and sides of the packaging. They also suggested a quick start user guide and pictograms. The FDA is expected to make its final decision by March 29th on its prescription-free sale. And in electric vehicle news, Tesla will open part of its U.S. charging network to EVs made by rivals. The move is part of an over $7 billion federal program to expand EV use. The move could help turn Tesla into the universal filling station of the EV era. By late 2024, Tesla would open 3,500 new and existing superchargers along highways to non-Tesla customers. It would also offer 4,000 slower chargers at locations like hotels and restaurants. President Biden praised the plan on Twitter, calling it, quote, a big deal that would make a big difference. Tesla CEO Elon Musk thanked the president, adding that Tesla is happy to support other EVs via the supercharger network. Tesla has over 17,000 superchargers. That's about 60% of total U.S. fast chargers. They can add hundreds of miles of driving range in an hour or less. Hyundai and Kia are fixing a problem that made some of their vehicles easy to steal. So easy to steal that some insurance companies refused to write new policies for them. More than 8 million vehicles are affected. The vehicles are Hyundais and Kias made between 2015 and 2019 that have turnkey ignitions, not push-button starts. The cars with turnkey ignitions are roughly twice as likely to be stolen as other vehicles of similar age. The reason? Many lack some of the basic auto theft prevention technology included in most other vehicles. Now Hyundai and Kia have a fix. It's a software patch, and it's free for owners. Though Hyundai and Kia operate as separate companies in the U.S., Hyundai owns a large stake in Kia, and various models between the brands share the same engineering. Be careful where you put your TV. Furniture accidents can be deadly. Here's a look at their latest report with some disturbing data and how you can protect your family. Pick out all your jammies. It can happen in an instant, even when you're watching. Good job. Those go in the very top drawer. These are real-life tip-overs. Thankfully, no children died in these scary accidents, but falling furniture can cause serious injuries, even death. You know, kids are going to be kids. They're going to be running around. They're going to be climbing on things. They may trip over a cord that pulls down a television. The latest report from the Consumer Product Safety Commission shows each year between 2019 and 2021, emergency rooms treated an estimated 19,400 people. Between 2000 and 2021, there were nearly 600 reported deaths. The vast majority of them are children. And many of those deaths involved a TV, but there are simple ways to protect family. Store heavy items at the bottom of furniture, place nothing on top that would entice kids to climb. If there are cords, tuck them away and finally use an anchor. Going down to the local hardware store, for under $20, in less than 20 minutes, you can attach your television or your bookcase or dresser to the wall. 
At anchorit.gov, you'll find step-by-step -step instructions on how to properly anchor things to the wall. You can also check the Consumer Product Safety Commission's website at cpsc.gov to stay up to date on products that have been recalled and could pose a danger. A group of women is suing hair product company Olaplex. The group of almost 30 plaintiffs claims the company's products caused hair loss, breakage, and other problems. They claim the company uses ingredients known to cause allergic reactions that are banned in Europe. Olaplex fired back, saying independent labs have proven its products are completely safe. The company calls the claims baseless and has pledged to fight them. The women are seeking more than $75,000 in damages. And just ahead, a congresswoman is in the spotlight. What are the ties between Representative Judy Chu and an alleged intelligence front group for Beijing? Another massive protest in Wuhan, the second one in a week. Tens of thousands rallied against steep cuts to their health insurance benefits. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. The U.S. military is changing its modus operandi following the Chinese spy balloon incursion. A national security professional breaks down the specifics of the response. He also discusses Chinese and Russian efforts to exploit old technology and developments in the Ukraine war. Have a listen. Please welcome retired Army Colonel John Mills. He's also a former director of cybersecurity policy at the Department of Defense. Thank you for bringing your insight today, John. Thank you, Kevin. Always an honor to be on your show. The military has made adjustments to how it patrols the skies after the Chinese spy balloon flyover. This includes the monitoring of threats and how it tracks and responds to them. How much more effective could this shift be at intercepting these lower altitude crafts? Well, one of the American features of military operations is that we're good at pivoting and adapting. We are, do have the drag coefficient of woke culture and CRT training affecting our senior officers, but we still seem to be good. What, what has also been mentioned, I've been reading through the press releases very closely from NORAD, NORTHCOM, the Department of Defense. One of the things that has been mentioned, and I, was, I, I know about this, is they, they have been retuning and adjusting the radars because you can filter out certain target tracks that might not be interesting or just provide clutter and uh, cause confusion. Well, they've been tuning out slow-moving things. So, uh, so we have this thing that's moving slow, really slowly. We're just, we're just going to tune it out and not even look at it. Well, now we know better. And uh, so now we're adjusting those, uh, those uh, radars. So you could tweak the radars and the radar displays. And we're also bringing them up to be the primary means of surveillance in a instead of this secondary or tertiary means, because we're really uh, replying on, uh, uh, depending upon compliant and cooperative air vehicles that are squawking and telling the air traffic controllers who they are, where they are, and what they're doing. So these were essentially ghosts. The Chinese intel balloons were essentially ghosts to the, the uh, system, and now we know better. That is interesting that they have to retune the radar to pick up these slow-moving objects. Has the discovery of these Chinese spy balloons caused a worldwide shift in response? 
Well, I think it's had a, a shockwave through those responsible for ensuring air sovereignty in the United States and with other key partners such as NATO and also obviously what's going on in the Ukraine. Uh, we realized, hey, we were uh, 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 accepting risk, uh, not even really paying attention to this this thing. Uh, and uh, the, the, I think the Chinese, uh, uh, I'd mentioned previously the, in other, other interviews uh, about the Google. It looked like they were replicating the Google Loon project, which seemed to be recycling uh, legacy old CIA efforts, but with a lot of modern twists and capabilities. So uh, the Chinese and the Russians uh, essentially were recycling old school uh, ideas with new technologies and uh, exploiting a gap or seam in uh, how we were behaving on enforcing air sovereignty. Right, so moving on to the war in Ukraine, they spotted six Russian balloons over Kyiv and shot most of them down. The capital's military admin said they were carrying recon equipment and corner reflectors. What are these balloons capable of, first of all? Well, it's a very efficient way and low-cost way to collect uh, collect uh, signals intelligence, imagery intelligence, all kind of measurements, uh, 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 measurement uh, that's called mazent, ma uh, measuring intelligence. So they're very low-cost and effective ways. Uh, they could also possibly be a one additional method for uh, your opponent to expend their precious ordnance and uh, shoot down balloons that maybe you could just let them fly anyway and, and preserve your ammunition stock. So uh, uh, interesting development now that we know and understand what the, uh, uh, the Chinese uh, spy balloons have been up to. And John, do you think that these Russian balloons are an attempt to jam up these Ukrainian air defenses and waste their munitions, et cetera? You know, I think that's a, that's a very intuitive uh, strategy in the use of these balloons is uh, and they because some of these may not be carrying those 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 uh, signals collection pods. Those are expensive. They take a lot of time. Uh, you now that the now that we're aware of them, you just don't want to uh, uh, you have those get shot down. Uh, so but put up balloons with fake uh, fake pods and fake uh, collection uh, apparatus. And yeah, sure. Let the Ukrainians burn up their ammunition. Uh, that's a good that's a good strategy when when studying this. Covered a lot of ground here. Retired Army Colonel John Mills. Thank you so much for your analysis. Thank you, Kevin. Always an honor to be on your show. A semiconductor equipment manufacturer says a China-based former employee stole company data. The alleged theft occurs as countries tighten restrictions on Chinese chip development. ASML says it stores details about its systems in an internal repository and it noticed a data breach. The company didn't elaborate on what kind of information was taken, but did say the breach may have violated export controls. The Dutch company employs around 1,500 people in China. This isn't the first time it has accused people in China of stealing its intellectual property. ASML is one of the few manufacturers of equipment needed to make mid- and high-range semiconductor chips, and for some equipment, it's the only manufacturer. In recent weeks, more countries have joined the U.S. in restricting China's access to chip-making equipment. A new report is putting a California congresswoman in the spotlight. It found that U.S. Representative Judy Chu held a leadership position in an alleged intelligence front group for Beijing. Let's zoom in. In 2019, Judy Chu became the honorary chairwoman of an agency. The organization is called Forums for the Peaceful Reunification of China. The organization supports Beijing's efforts to take Taiwan. A congressional research arm called the USCC 
has identified the agency as serving Beijing's intelligence service. The organization has coordinated closely with the Los Angeles Chinese consulate and the Chinese regime. Philip Lenziki is the author of the investigative news report. The actual organization itself is a subchapter of uh, a recognized United Front Work Department front group. And so these entities are China Council for the Peaceful Unification uh, of China, which is just below the United Front Work Department. Uh, they're focused on um, opposing Taiwan, uh, Taiwan's independence and a number of other um, efforts. They've been identified by the U.S.-China Economic Security and Review Commission as a front group. At an event linked to the organization, Chu said she hoped to see China and Taiwan become one family. As for Beijing's United Front Department, it's tasked with expanding the regime's influence overseas. Now, United Front work more or less boils down to the management of non-party individuals. It's the Communist Party's um, effort to try to coerce and manipulate others who are outside of the party to achieve the ends of the party. And so they will target um, minorities, they will target uh, religious factions, et cetera, and so on. And this is not limited to those that are um, uh, ethnically Chinese. He listed as an example former Harvard professor Charles Lieber. He was convicted for lying about working with a Chinese state-run program and concealing his financial ties with a Chinese university. And this individual is not uh, Asian, and he was wrapped up in the Thousand Talents program, um, which was this uh, effort to um, bring technology from the United States and, and elsewhere to China. This program, uh, in part, is run by the Western Return Scholars Association, which itself is a part of the United Front Work Department. So they touch upon uh, all aspects and all facets of life. Back to Judy Chu. The congresswoman recently chose not to support a push in Congress to form a new House Select Committee. The initiative would focus on probing Beijing's influence and infiltration on U.S. soil. Where the party has stolen American intellectual property, technology, and industrial capacity. It is here at home where the party's extraterritorial totalitarianism terrorizes Chinese students studying at our universities and targets Americans of Chinese descent. Chu said the initiative could lead to anti-Asian violence. Lenziki called it concerning to have U.S. politicians involved in groups with ties to Chinese intelligence. Um, these are not benign entities. Um, we're seeing, if, if I, I would put it this way, if what we're seeing on uh, the surface level um, are these brazen interactions with organizations that are espousing uh, policies which are completely antithetical to what the United States and our allies uh, are trying to achieve vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan's independence. If that's just what we're seeing on its face, we could only imagine what's going on behind uh, closed doors. It's unclear if Chu still works with the organization. NTD reached out for comment, but did not hear back before airtime. A mass protest in China. Once again, the city of Wuhan is in the spotlight. Tens of thousands of people there are protesting cuts to their health insurance. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has more. A mass protest breaking out in China's Wuhan city on Wednesday. It's the second demonstration in just a week as tens of thousands of locals gather to oppose cuts to their health insurance benefits. Crowds packed an entrance of a park, most of them elderly. Two voices heard in the clip calling out, down with the reactionary government. Take the guns, come and fight. 
Other footage shows a heavy security presence walling up the demonstrators, with pushing and shoving between the two sides. This wasn't the first such outburst in Wuhan. A rally estimated at tens of thousands kicked off in front of City Hall last Wednesday. All these amid a groundswell of opinion against changes to local health insurance policy. Retirees saw their medical benefits slashed by more than two-thirds in February. The amount down from around $38 per month to only $12. Protesters say under the new policy, some frequently used medications have become unaffordable. Other question why civil servants are exempt from the policy change. The first protest ended with no response from officials. While the second was brewing, authorities stepped in. We planned another demonstration for the 15th, which is no longer possible. We are now under close surveillance. Otherwise, it might not be tens of thousands of people protesting, but hundreds of thousands or even more. Every community authority now has the participants under restrictions. We are all confined to our homes. We can't go out. The same day, a similar protest broke out in the northeastern city of Dalian against local health care changes. But related content was soon scrubbed from Chinese social media. The outcry speaks to the fiscal woes facing China's local governments under the Chinese communist regime. Over the past three years, the country has poured more than $20 billion into COVID-19 controls. The spending added to China's collapsing property market and slowing economy. Some sad news from the UK. One of the 12 boys dramatically rescued from a flooded cave in Thailand in 2018 has now died in Britain. He was attending a soccer academy there. Dewampich Promthap was captain of the Wild Boars team. The circumstances of the 17-year-old's death were not immediately clear. Police said his death isn't suspicious. Reports in Thailand said he suffered a head injury. The news was shared on social media by a Buddhist monk who taught the boys in Thailand. In June 2018, the group of boys were trapped in a cave complex by floodwaters while exploring. They were found nine days later in a flooded chamber four kilometers from the entrance of the caves. The seemingly impossible extraction by international divers and Thai Navy SEALs captured huge global attention. And coming up in Turkey and Syria, the focus of earthquake relief now shifts to humanitarian assistance as numerous survivors are displaced and starving. And with inflation nearing 100% in Argentina, residents say they are living day-to-day amid soaring prices. More shortly here on NTD News Today. A Russian warship will take part in a joint naval drill with South African and Chinese counterparts. The exercise is said to be planned for February 17th to the 27th. The Russian warship has earlier test-fired hypersonic Zircon missiles. The frigate, named Admiral Gorshkov, could be seen moored in the South African port of Cape Town on Wednesday. Last week, it test-fired hypersonic Zircon missiles in the Atlantic. Russia says they fly at nine times the speed of sound. They claim the missiles have a range of more than 620 miles. Russia said the exercise will be the second involving the three countries in South Africa after a drill in 2019. The Gorshkov held exercises in the Norwegian Sea this month after President Vladimir Putin sent it to the Atlantic Ocean. This was meant to signal that Russia would not back down over the war in Ukraine. 
Germany recorded 1.1 million arrivals from Ukraine in 2022. The country's federal statistical office released the numbers today. Just over two-thirds of these arrivals were between March and May 2022, the first three months after Russia invaded Ukraine. Taking into account roughly 140,000 departures to Ukraine, net immigration from Ukraine to Germany last year was over 960,000 people. This is higher than the net immigration from Syria, Afghanistan and Iraq together between 2014 and 2016. In October 2022, Ukrainians were the second largest foreign population group in Germany after Turkish citizens. Rescuers continue to search for survivors in Turkey and Syria, where the death toll from the earthquake now tops 42,000. And many more are struggling in the bitter cold. In northwestern Syria, 15 aid trucks from Qatar drove into the border crossing with medical supplies, tents, wheat, and other humanitarian aid. They were accompanied by the Qatari Red Crescent Society and charities. Beyond the ongoing relief efforts, millions of people are now in need of humanitarian assistance. U.S. authorities say the focus of aid efforts has shifted to survivors who lack shelter or adequate food to survive the winter. And also in Turkey, a coal heater exploded right next to the Turkish health minister during his visit to the southern city of Hite. The dramatic moment was captured on camera. The footage shows sparks flying and people scattering, but the politician wasn't hurt. Hite was one of the cities worst affected by the earthquake. And staying in Turkey, members of the Religious Affairs Directorate are picking up holy books from the rubble. The officials are helping the victims of a devastated southern city. They found dozens of religious books scattered around, including the Bible and the Quran. While some are damaged while still others are intact. One official said the books shouldn't be on the ground, but kept in the heart. They started collecting the remaining books and loading them onto trucks. The complete books will be distributed back to the public. Inflation is hitting countries around the world. In Argentina, the annual inflation rate is nearing a whopping 100%. Spiraling prices are now hurting people's wallets. Let's zoom in. An annual price hike approaching 100%. That's the plight Argentine residents are wrestling with. Many feel their paychecks drained by the high costs of food, gas, and services. The truth is that I live day to day. I look for low prices, I go to markets, we look for where the meat is cheaper, the vegetables are cheaper, and hunt for online promotions to get by. That's what I do. The government has taken steps to limit price increases, but inflation is still rampant, prompting a change in people's shopping habits. I buy week by week because I can no longer make a large purchase. There are things that I've had to stop buying because I say, no, it's just impossible for it to increase like this. So I don't buy some things. I change habits or buy sale items. Month to month inflation in the South American country sped up to 6% in January, with the 12 month figure closing in on triple digits. The figure is the highest since hyperinflation in the 1990s. Argentina's economy is bearing the brunt of the impact. The central bank has raised interest rates to a staggering 75%. Between inflation and taxes, some businesses are struggling to survive. In our work, between paying for one thing and another, along with taxes, they're drowning us and they don't allow us to work. Fed up with inflation, some Argentine citizens are accusing the government of economic mismanagement and money printing. This issue will be key in the run-up to the country's October elections.
El Salvador's security minister says the country will stay in a state of emergency until all criminals are captured. The move has widespread public support, despite a growing prison population and allegations of human rights abuses. El Salvador's state of emergency to combat gangs has led to tens of thousands of arrests and allegations of human rights abuses. But it also appears to be massively popular. And in a recent interview, the country's security minister, Gustavo Villatoro, said the measure will stay in place until every criminal is caught. El régimen de excepción es una herramienta. The state of emergency is a tool to keep security and to care for Salvadorians' lives. When the risk reaches numbers close to zero, this measure will be lifted. Y estos terroristas. As long as we have these murderers and these terrorists fleeing and escaping within the country, this measure must continue. Esta medida debe de President Nayib Bukele asked Congress to approve the state of emergency last March. Since then, security forces have arrested more than 64,000 suspected gang members or associates. Estamos a punto. We are at the brink of winning the war against gangs, he said in June. El Salvador already has the highest incarceration rate in the world, with nearly 2% of its adult population behind bars. It recently opened a huge prison that can hold 40,000 people. There is some evidence the crackdown is having an impact. Last year, there were just under 500 homicides. In 2021, there were more than 1,100. But there are questions about what rights citizens are willing to exchange for safer streets. Rights groups have documented hundreds of arbitrary arrests, torture, and in-custody deaths. Under the measure, arrests can be made without a warrant. Detainees' rights to a lawyer have also been shelved. The government denies the accusations of torture and other rights of abuses outside of what's allowed. Still, residents point to concrete changes. They say they're able to go out at night and spend time at soccer pitches. All unthinkable before. One mechanic, Manuel, said that for years, hitmen from MS-13 would come demanding extortion money every two weeks, but not anymore. There's more security, he said. I feel calmer. I can go for a walk. I go out to walk every night with my young children around the neighborhood. Before, I didn't even take them out. In a recent survey, 92% of people said they support the state of emergency. Just ahead, master craftsmen teach the traditional art of mask making to tourists in Venice. Find out how they make their most bizarre and marvelous creations. A Danish museum uses metaverse technology to recreate a Bronze Age girl. The avatar waves, whistles and shouts to passing visitors. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Good to have you back with us. Master craftsmen are teaching the traditional art of mask making to tourists in Venice. The ornate costumes are a common sight during the city's famous carnival. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more on the masquerade. Few people are trained in one of Venice's oldest crafts, the ancient skill of paper mache. They fashion the most bizarre and marvelous creations by hand. In a small workshop, Giorgio Galasso and his son make masks nonstop. The 66-year-old developed his craft in the 1970s. 
To create a cast, you have to make a clay sculpture. Cover it with plaster for a week, and when it has to become strong and dried, you remove the clay and the negative remains. Applying glue and paper mache, which is now a kind of fairly professional canvas paper, you make the mask. Then it has to be smoothed, painted, and finally decorated. Then the mask is decorated with gold, feathers, and other ornaments. Now Giorgio is letting some in on his secret techniques. For $50, visitors can take a master class on how to design their very own mask. Generally, they come here, they're offered a selection of about 12 models. We sketch on the mask a particular design that is the one we use every day in the shop. They're taught how to paint, and during the activity, they're told a bit about Venice, which can be the history of the carnival or the history behind each mask. There are many ancient crafts in danger of being lost in Venice. It is very important to pass on this type of activity because you are continuing a local tradition and above all, there are activities that can give you immense satisfaction. In a world where everyone is trying to make the famous quick buck, it is important to understand that we need to focus on this type of activity. For Galasso and his son, seeing new people keen to learn inspires hope. It is very important to have people who want to learn because we pass on our tradition for an hour to those who come to do this master class. We pass on all our knowledge. Let's say that even if in one hour you can't teach everything, but I see that people really enjoy it and appreciate it. The Venice Carnival is a thousand-year-old tradition and one of the most famous street festivals in the world. The celebration is already underway and will run through February 21st. Andrew Thomas. NTD News. A Bronze Age girl buried over 3,000 years ago. Her remains were unearthed by a farmer in 1921, and now she's come to life again, that is, as a digital avatar. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the project. At Denmark's National Museum, this newly installed digital avatar brings a Bronze Age girl to life. The avatar waves, whistles, and shouts at passing visitors. She tells her story to those who listen. Normally, if you go to a museum, you only read a small text. And we wanted uh, our guests to be able to know more about Eglapine. She's very important in Denmark. She's one of our national treasures, you might say. Eglapine was buried in an oak coffin. While her bones completely decomposed, archaeologists uncovered hair, skin, nails, clothes, enamel from her teeth, and a bit of brain matter. Her small body made an imprint on the cowhide she was lying on. Using these clues, experts were able to build a picture of the 16 to 18 year old girl. The interesting thing for me is that technology is, is amazing, but, but most amazing is the rest of the Eagle team. So uh, in my, uh, from my opinion, the most important thing is that we use the technology to look at the real Eagle team. Artists used Unreal Engine's MetaHuman platform. The technology is used in video games such as Fortnite and movies like Star Wars. Our ambition is to also try to make it in VR, because right now it's on a 2D screen. And I think like the closest things we have to a time machine is a VR headset. So to do it in VR would be amazing. And that's also what we're trying to see if we can do. Experts made educated guesses to recreate her skin type, facial features, and eye color. It was a very challenging process, so we had to um, develop her look from from nothing. So the only remains of her are her hair and her teeth, and the rest is our creation. Eggvipine's digital avatar is permanently on display at Denmark's National Museum in Copenhagen. 
Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The world's oldest nearly complete Hebrew Bible coming to London next week. The manuscript, known as the Codex Sassoon, could become the most valuable historical document to go up for auction. The Codex, or manuscript in book form, is set to go up for sale in May. Sotheby's says this thousand-year-old holy book might fetch up to $50 million. It means it would break the all-time auction record for historical documents. The last record was set in 2021 when a billionaire paid about $43 million for a copy of the U.S. Constitution. The Codex Sassoon is named after its former owner who acquired the Bible in 1929. The document is valuable because it provides a critical link between the Jewish oral tradition and the modern Hebrew Bible. This Bible is incredibly important because it contains the notes created by the Masoretes between the 7th and the 9th century. And these notes, uh, which sort of standardize the text of the Bible, appear above and below the text and also between the columns. And these notes actually, they also included besides the notes known as Masora, which means tradition, they included the vowel points underneath the letters, which allow us to know how exactly the words of the Bible are to be pronounced. The upcoming display will be the first public showing of the Codex in 40 years. The public will also be able to see it in Dallas, Los Angeles, and finally New York before the auction. Sotheby's says the Sassoon Codex dates from the late 9th or early 10th century and contains almost the entire Hebrew Bible. Today marks 100 years since the discovery of the body of the ancient Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun. The boy king was found buried with treasures in his 3,000-year-old tomb. For many, King Tut is the ultimate symbol of ancient Egypt's glory. Tutankhamun ascended the throne aged 9, ruling until his death at age 18 or 19. British Egyptologist Howard Carter discovered his tomb in 1922. The last chamber was opened on February 16, 1923. It contained the mummified body of the young king and impressive treasures. The discovery was a watershed moment in archaeology. Tutankhamun and his grave goods will eventually go on show together at the new Grand Egyptian Museum in Giza. It's set to open this year. To mark 100 years since his famous discovery, Howard Carter's home in Egypt reopened for visitors in November 2022. A prehistoric whale skull has been unearthed in Peru. Researchers say the skull was preserved in the desert for 7 million years. The skull belonged to an adult sperm whale. It's over 4 feet long and complete with teeth and jaws. The whale's body is estimated to have been between 16 and 18 feet long. One paleontologist says the skull's strong teeth and jaws suggest it may have been a predator, as current sperm whales only feed on small fish or squid. He says this type of find helps to understand changes that affected the Peruvian Sea's ecosystem. The skull is on display in Lima's National History Museum. And coming up, Australia's Keppel Island saw more tourists during the pandemic than ever before. The idyllic island is about a half-hour ferry ride from the mainland. And a conservationist's find a way to help Australian animals affected by wildfires and logging. With fewer trees, the animals have fewer homes. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. The pandemic battered the tourism industry as lockdowns and travel restrictions ruined countless vacation plans. 
But for some, it was an opportunity. NCD's Andrew Thomas has more. Australia's Keppel Island had more tourists during the pandemic than ever before. The idyllic island is about a half-hour ferry ride from the mainland. The short distance makes it accessible for many Australians. It's also much cheaper than long flights to Indonesia or Thailand. People who were getting a bit of cabin fever could get out and get away. And the beauty of that too is with this island, it's, it's very down to earth, it's very basic, it's, it's all about the vibe. Um, it's not flash, it's not fancy, and uh, I think people probably discovered a place that's been off the map for a while. When lockdowns and travel restrictions began, residents turned to local tourism. Jeff Mercer runs the laid-back Holiday Village. He says the past year was the best he's had in 15 years. With all the complications of COVID and obviously all the sadness that surrounded COVID, um, after the initial 17 weeks lockdown within Queensland, we did very, very well and we had our best year and, and there was a really, there was a, there was a golden lining there for us. Jack Turnbull came over with friends for a day of sun and food. He was shocked to find such natural beauty right next door. It's good to finally have it, have the restrictions eased and to, you know, enjoy our country. I think a lot of people in Australia want to go overseas and just to, in, you know, enjoy this great weather here. It's beautiful and it's a great surprise, honestly. Next door at the hideaway, restaurant manager Dennis Cox says they've had wedding cancellations, but overall they did better during the pandemic than before. A lot of Queenslanders who came and to explore uh, their own state were so impressed that they've been coming back, which is great, and they're bringing their friends. They're not going to Bali, they're not going to uh, uh, Thailand. Um, they're saying, hey, we've got beautiful islands here in Australia, uh, let's support local. Australia imposed stringent lockdowns and restrictions during the pandemic. Now that they've been lifted, the tourism industry as a whole is making a comeback. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Staying in Australia, a conservation biologist is carving hollows in trees. He hopes to create new habitat for wildlife displaced by logging and bushfires. He's even invented a new tool to get the job done quickly. Meet Australia's new animal real estate agent. Conservation biologist Matt Stevens is creating new homes for wildlife using the hollow hog. It's a game-changing tool that he invented to create artificial hollows in trees, just as Australia's wildlife grapples with the loss of habitat created by logging and bushfires. According to the Wilderness Society, roughly 300 native wildlife species in Australia rely on hollows to nest and shelter. That includes 31% of native mammals and 15% of native birds. The hollow hog can closely replicate nature, but faster. Naturally, a hollow will take the minimum of 70 to 120 years to start forming. And then, you know, the fact that we can rapidly install one of these hollows within less than an hour is, you know, a real game changer. The hollow hog is a tool that carves into the wood of the tree, creating an entrance hole. It's a high-speed spinning cutting head with tungsten carbide tips that spins at about 11,000 RPM, um, a long spindle or shaft, and then with the ability to suck all of the wood chip out and it gets exhaust, the exhaust comes out here. And so effectively, I can now carve 
that 50 mil diameter I can cover all the way in as far as I can reach and in any direction I want once I'm inside. While nest boxes have been one solution, Stephen says there were limitations. Nest boxes only last around seven to ten years, while tree hollows will not only last, but also grow. The hollow hog has already been used to carve thousands of hollows across Australia. The New South Wales National Parks and Wildlife Service started using it to create much needed habitats for Australia's wildlife. The Department of Primary Industry has also got involved, as have land care groups and tree surgeons like Eamon Dempsey, who right now is using it to install hollows on Stephen's property. The very first time I ever got my hands on a hollow hog and actually started carving, it, uh, it really filled me with hope that my career doesn't have to be all about cutting trees down. There is actually a potential there for me to have a more positive environmental impact. Stevens hopes the tool will help Australia's hollow-dependent wildlife exist past the current rate of extinction. He's already seen a variety of species use the hollows, from marsupials to parrots and even lizards. Do you love pet movies and have 48 hours to spare? If so, this job might be perfect for you. Petable.com is hiring. The company, which helps people get their pets certified as emotional support animals, is looking for someone to watch 10 hours of dog movies and write a review of them. That person will be paid $1,000. The job requirements include passion for dogs, loves pet films, has a comfy couch or bed, and 48 hours open in their calendar. A pet to keep them company is recommended, but not required. Petable also listed out the movies, which include Scooby-Doo, The Fox and the Hound, Hachi, My Dog Skip, Snoopy Come Home, 101 Dalmatians, and Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. You can apply online at petable.com. Applications are open until March 6th. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.